So, okay, cool. So just to run you through things real quick, um, how things are going to go and get started. Um, uh, we start with this screen right here. to me i will say hey everyone welcome to the show i do my our sponsors and that kind of fun stuff and um i do our sponsors and everything and then i will uh introduce you and i'll say you know please welcome to the show mr eric peterson and then from there when i introduce you and when your face is up there in the corner um that's when people can hear or see you up until then no one else can hear or see you except for me gotcha ready to go boom okay Let's cool 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 um, all right, so it is eight now. The stream is looking good. Um, hold on one second. Let me double check something. Uh, okay. Ninety-seven. You are nine, number ninety-seven. I'm almost up on a hundred episodes. Um, yeah, time flies, I guess. Um, What's that? They come to be a libertarian, right? Yes, that's yes, that's what I'm going to tell myself now. Um, hold on one second. I'm just um, grabbing the notes. Yeah, yeah, they've made stuff a lot less easy than they used to be. Um, Okay. Oh, also, I was hoping to talk about, and I mean, it's all in the same thing, but how California introduced theirs and a judge has, uh, has you know, um, uh, opened the door for them to be able to start enforcing that neutrality there and what that means for the rest of us who aren't in California. Um, yeah. But it's all kind of yeah. in the same wheelhouse. Yeah, I got. I have a whole shtick, too, about Biden's broadband plan. They're going cool. to spend $100 billion on the Internet. Yeah, um, that'll fix it. I think it's... Uh, I think it's fairly relevant to what we're talking about. So yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. Okay, cool. I carried on a lot of stuff. <laughs> All right, that sounds good. So I'm going to. I'll be buried in my grave. 
watching my fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Yes. Yes, it's me. I'm back. It's been a week. Keep clapping. Clap for the miracle. Clap for the I survived Alaska miracle. How would we know that you're happy that I survived my time in Alaska? If you didn't keep clapping, welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Folks, we have a really cool episode today. We're going to be talking about net neutrality, something that really hasn't been talked a lot about in the media. Uh, it was talked about a while back, but they haven't really been talking about it much. It's been kind of quietly happening under the under the radar, even though it could potentially affect the entire internet in a bad way. Well, that was a spoiler alert. I was going to wait to say whether it was good or bad. But anyway... Thanks so much for joining us. This is a Muddied Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Anchor, all the podcasting platforms. We're on Twitter, Periscope. We're on everything. Check us out everywhere. Go to anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters to leave us messages that we answer on Tuesday nights. Uh, go to, uh, and you can you can donate money to us there if you want to. I didn't tell you you had to, but you can. Uh, check us out everywhere and go to muddywatersmedia.com. Uh, to follow all of our episodes and be sure to like this share this follow it subscribe to it whatever it is that you are watching or listening to this on be sure to let everyone know just how much you appreciate and enjoy it uh big tech does not want you to see this i don't know if that's true but i'm going to say it because that might make you more likely to share it so share it because the last thing i want is for you and your loved ones to miss out on a roughly hour-long libertarian podcast on a wednesday evening Give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids love it. This episode, of course, is brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest-growing waffle-related caucus in the Libertarian Party or any other party in any other country, actually. I haven't checked that, but it has to be true. Uh, become a member today by going to the Facebook group Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, uh, and you can become a duly seated voting member, whatever that means, by going to muddiedwatersmedia.com slash store and buying either a Waffle House Caucus button or a Waffle House Caucus hat. I think we have a shirt. Actually, I don't remember if we have a hat now, but we have a shirt and we have a, uh, and a button, so be sure to do that today. This episode is also brought to you by the Gravy King, and it's brought to you by Nug of Knowledge, smokable CBD products. Nug of Knowledge is not your everyday CBD supplier because a portion of the profits go to help end the war on drugs. They also have a compassionate use program that donates medicinal hemp products to veterans and people with disabilities who cannot afford these natural remedies. Many people who say it, who use it, say that it helps with joint pain, stress relief, or even a much-needed pick-me-up. So if you... Uh, if you uh, went through all of your smokable CBD supplies yesterday, 
um, for that day, that special holiday, then be sure to go to nugofknowledge.com to buy some more smokable CBD and uh, use checkout code SPIKE for 10% off. Smokable CBD, that's what we call it now. This episode is also brought to you by Joe Solosky, running for a Pennsylvania governor. Joe Solosky is the key to Pennsylvania's success. And if you want to help him in his run as a libertarian for governor of Pennsylvania, you can go to joesolosky, J-O-E-S-O-L-O-S-K-I.com and, uh, and see how you can help him. He's a fantastic guy. Um, and this episode is also brought to you by the... Where's the other thing? Oh, Chris Reynolds, personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. If you find yourself personally injured in Florida, I'm so sorry, but you might be able to sue them. And if you think that that's something you'd like to do, it's your personal opinion. You can certainly do it. Go to chrisreynoldslaw.com. And when you wake up from whatever they did to you, uh, Chris will be there waiting. Um, Well, I don't know if he'll be physically there in your hospital room or whatever, but he'll be there waiting somewhere for you. And uh, he will help you get the money that you need and deserve. ChrisReynoldsLaw.com. By the way, I I make no guarantees that he'll be able to get you money. But if anyone can, it'll be him. The intro and outro music to this and every single episode of My Fellow Americans comes from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook. Check him out on his SoundCloud. Go to his Bandcamp at JoeDaviMusic.Bandcamp.com. Buy his entire discography he is an incredibly talented musician. It's like 25 bucks for the discography. Go buy it. It's great. All the great music that you could ever listen to. Uh, thank you so much, Mr. Joe Davi. I'd like to thank Le Bleu, Purified Drinking Water, for this. We already uh, determined in the last episode that I'm very wrong about hydrogen and oxygen. I thought it was 33% hydrogen and 66% oxygen, and it turns out that's not how... That's not how chemistry works, but this is the correct proportions of hydrogen and oxygen, which I'm relieved to know because I've been drinking it for years. There's nothing wrong with this. This is not GMO water. It's actually very good water. Thank you so much to Le Bleu, Bleu Vinaca. I should have opened this ahead of time. Shout out to Tehran Turks and Turks' mom and him as always. Folks, my guest tonight is the Director of Technology and Innovation Policy for the Pelican Institute. For Public Policy, which is a free market think tank uh, based out of Louisiana that advocates for things like government transparency, school choice, lower taxes, and much more. All stuff we like. Uh, he is a political economics major from Tulane University. Uh, he has written quite a bit extensively about everything from occupational licensing reform to government regulation of social media. He's here with us today uh, to share his expertise on net neutrality and on the Biden administration kind of quietly planning to bring it back and what that means for us. So, ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans, without any further ado, please join me in welcoming my guest tonight. My guest and your, is your guest too tonight, Mr. Eric Peterson. Eric, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks uh, for the great interest, Mike. I got to ask you a question right off the bat. You talked a little bit about uh, donations. Can I donate my Dogecoin to you? Yes, you can convert it to U.S. dollars and donate it to me. I actually, so I want to buy every every time on my list of things to do on the not important part, I always have buy $100 worth of Dogecoin and I still haven't done it. And every time it goes up, I'm like, I should have done that. But yes, if you, I, I will certainly, I will make a Dogecoin wallet just so you can donate if you'd like. But thanks so much for coming, man. Yeah, I'm like I'm excited to be here. Uh, you know, long time listener of the show, first time uh, participant, right? 
Yeah, no, this is awesome. And folks, uh, be sure uh, to comment with your thoughts and questions, and Eric and I will tell you if you are right or wrong. Now, Eric, before we get started, I I'm interested to know that I, I had heard of the Pelican Institute, but I didn't know a lot about them. Pro obviously, prior to this show, I've been reading up on them and, and on what you've been doing with them. I think you're doing some fantastic stuff. Tell me, what is tell us the genesis story of how you got in, involved in the Pelican Institute and what, and what you're doing over there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are like familiar with uh, DC think tanks, right? Like the Cato Institute or uh, right. you know, Heritage Foundation. Uh, there's actually a great network of state-based free market think tanks around the country who are in state capitals every day fighting for free market policies. From like you said, school choice, lower taxes, we're really fighting down our tax code right here. Uh, the Pelican Institute is, is just one of these great organizations, uh, but they've given me a great opportunity to do something a little different uh, that a lot of think tanks are, are getting into but haven't gotten into uh, yet, which is technology policy. We know how important innovation is to uh, the well-being of all Americans, uh, but you know Louisiana is kind of uh, lagging behind. So um, it is my goal to make Louisiana a place that is more friendly to innovation. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. We just passed some great uh, legislation out of the House. Um, on rural broadband, on something called regulatory sandboxes. It's going to make it easier for me to donate to your campaign in uh, Dogecoin, but uh, maybe we'll save that for the end. But that is what we're doing down here at the uh, the Pelican Institute, fighting for uh, freedom every day in the fine state of Louisiana. I, I actually would like to talk about that more if time allows. Um, I, uh, I like to, I, one cool thing that happened last year in this is going around campaigning and even after the campaign, um, I don't know if you know, I ran for vice president last year. It was a little thing. It's well, a side project. I did. <laughs> um, but uh, when I was doing that, I got to meet all these really cool people that were part of these think tanks and lobbying groups and stuff based out of like in this individual states. And so it was really cool because like you said, we've all heard of Cato. We've all heard of the Heritage Foundation. We've all heard of these like, you know, DC based uh, uh, think tanks and lobby groups. Some are good. Many are not good, but we've heard of them. But yet, we're actually much more likely to be acutely affected by local and state policy than we are by federal policy. Sometimes the federal policy trickles down to the state and local level, but at the end of the day, it's what is happening locally that, that matters a lot more. So it's good to see that there are folks like y'all that are, that are doing this kind of stuff. And if again, if time allows, I'd certainly love to dive into what you guys are doing there because uh, I think it's great. Uh, everything that, like I said, my, my very brief perusal of the Pelican Institute, I, I really couldn't find anything I didn't like. But um, getting back to, uh, to this issue with net neutrality. Now, the, the very, very quick primer is net neutrality is a regulation that was introduced uh, under the Obama administration through the FCC. It was repealed uh, by the, during the Trump administration by the FCC, and now there is increasing talk of it uh, being reintroduced at the federal level. And in the meantime, uh, California and possibly some other states introduced it during the time uh, at, at the state level during the time that uh, that it was not in the federal level. But let's talk about that. What exactly is net neutrality? Because we, we hear a lot of emotional uh, responses on both sides, especially on the pro side. Um, but let's you know give us a, a little brief rundown. What exactly is net neutrality? What was the purpose behind it? What did it end up leading to? Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, net neutrality is probably one of the least understood policy areas that most people have probably heard about. Yeah. Um, net neutrality isn't actually a policy that was passed by the FCC um, at all. Uh, okay. Net neutrality 
is is a theory uh, put forth uh, by by Tim Wu, who is is I believe now uh, just got uh, onto the FTC, or or that process is going through, um, and it's a pretty simple concept. All it says is when uh, a carrier, whether it's Comcast, AT and T, Wifs, you know, Starlink, is moving internet traffic, that they treat all that internet traffic equally. So uh, this stream right now that is going out to all the people is treated the same as somebody streaming from Netflix, same as sending an email. Uh, watching YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's sort of this theory about how the internet sh- should work, right? They, they sort of call that like the dumb pipe theory, right? That the internet carrier doesn't know what's going on. Um, this is really similar to telephone services, right? Uh, you know, kind of back in the day, uh, you and I are old enough to remember landline telephones. Maybe some people watching yes. here aren't. Um, you know, Isn't that depressing? Some- there are adults yeah. who don't remember what landline telephones are like, but yes, yeah. go ahead. That is, uh, that is how fast uh, communications technology is moving. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, they probably don't remember my bell or, you know, this stuff being broken up or right. dial tones right. or any of that crazy stuff. Um, but that that's how, uh, you know, telephone services are, are treated, right? Common carriers uh, that if you and I are having a conversation on a phone line that, um, you know, it's not given any sort of priority access over, um, you know, your mom and my mom talking about watching us right now on, on Facebook and who's uh, doing a better job and who's more handsome and all that good stuff, right? Right, right. Um, right. So that, that, that's sort of that. Um, what actually happened in 2015 is something uh, known as, as Title II regulation of the internet. Um, and that is that, that kind of common carrier provision uh, that says that we're going to treat the internet service like your electricity, like the telephone, uh, like, like, you know, like your water, like it is going to be treated as utility. Um, you know, part of that ha- is like the net neutrality, you know, part of it is, of how you treat data moving over that. But it is far more than just passing a law that's saying you have to treat all internet traffic equally, which is what people think it is if they have any sort of um, insight into the policy at all, if they kind of looked into it. Okay, so title, so that's where I was hoping you would get at is Net neutrality is the idea that all packets of data that are going through the internet should be treated the same, which, correct me if I'm wrong, that's how it has been. I mean, that, that there hasn't ever been a, a, a widespread example of data being treated substantively differently. Am I incorrect in that? So, yeah, I mean, we can get into whether or not it's just it's throttling or something like that. But I think right. a bigger question. Like, do we want all like data packets to be treated equally, right? We were just got out of a, a pandemic uh, or getting out of a pandemic, right? Where kids are all, like virtual schooling, um, telehealth, like maybe that needs to take slight, like microsecond level priority over things like streaming Netflix, being on YouTube, uh, you know, this stream is sending an email. Uh, that's sort of like basic network management, right? Is making sure like the important things go through first and the things that can wait a half second to your email uh, kind of go after that. Um, the sort of concern about net neutrality, right, is that um, if you would have certain companies like throttling content, meaning that Facebook would load slower, YouTube would load slower, uh, Netflix would load slower because they had some sort of financial incentive to prioritize some content over the others. Um, as far as that goes, uh, there's like maybe one example that happened in 2007 that people sort of go back to. Uh, but if you want to talk about how much the internet has changed since 2007, right. it, is a, it is a significant amount. Then um, there's sort of no, uh, you know, big smoking gun for throttling that, you know, these internet carriers can't be trusted with our content and they're going to uh, destroy the open internet as we know it today. 
Well, and also, I mean, keep in mind, like you said, the the last big you know example happened. 14 years ago so this isn't exactly like a a a long-running issue or an issue that's you know a a chronic issue but also you you mentioned you know microsecond differences this is not the difference between something streaming in a matter of you know uh, fractions of a second versus minutes this is whether something took a page took two seconds to load or four seconds to load or something like that so even even in the examples that of why this needs to happen, this is not the dramatic thing that it's being sold as, right? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, uh, maybe we can get into this later about how well the American uh, system held up during COVID-19. Uh, yeah. But if you talk about throttling, right, it's, you know, the European Union has passed all these regulations on tech as they are wont to do, right? They heavily, yeah. heavily regulate their tech sector, which is why the only large tech company to come out of Europe uh, these days is Spotify, the only um, unicorn company kind of in the top 50, um, is, is because of the regulation. But they have kind of these strong net neutrality uh, provisions, right, that prevent you from throttling content or, or doing that sort of thing. Uh, but of course, that means that people were less uh, likely to invest in the network because with regulations comes increased costs. Uh, we can get into some of those numbers, but during the early days of the pandemic, when everyone was staying home, uh, European regulators uh, told Facebook that they would have to throttle their content. Too many people were streaming in high def um, and important things that needed to happen uh, were getting slowed down. So the government actually sort of imposed this. Uh, meanwhile, across the pond where we had uh, repealed net neutrality and apparently killed the internet two years ago, uh, people were watching <laughs> uh, Tiger King in 4K and uh, you know convinced that Carol Baskin had murdered her husband. Yeah, so I mean, if nothing else, we now know the truth about Carol Baskin. But... The question here, um, you mentioned that net neutrality is not, we're being told that all they did was, or we're, it's being implied that all they did was make sure that the internet is a, is a fair place for everyone and that they've made, you know, ne- neutral treatment of all packets of data. But like you said, that's not even the beginning of what they did, or that's just the beginning of the beginning of what they did. Talk to us about Title Two, And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but, you know, tell us if, uh, the government treating the internet like a uh, utility is good or bad and why that would be? Yeah, well, I mean, we don't even have to go to the the uh, hypothetical, right? We can kind of look back in time and believe it or not, the internet's not that old, but it, you know, it's been under different regulatory structures. Um, you know, for those of you who are around our age, um, I got DSL service, was really excited about that. Uh, it was much faster than sort of like the modem 56K. Uh, you didn't have to deal with the, the beeping sound and all that good stuff. Um, so that actually, uh, DSL service used to be uh, considered uh, under Title II, uh, and then that changed. The FCC said, no, we're actually going to treat it as a, as a data service. Um, and what you saw is a major uptick uh, in investment and uh, DSL service, a major uptick in uh, people subscribing to that service, and more people getting connected to the internet. Um, and so, you know, we sort of had a firsthand example of, you know, take, getting rid of this common carrier status, right? Um, the FCC, over the last 30 years, the story has been one of deregulation. And as they have deregulated, um, again, we're, like, we're telling kind of these old-timey stories like 15, 20 years ago. Uh, and you would think we were talking about 80 years ago by how fast uh, the technology right. has improved. And that's a, as a direct reflection of the fact that the government has increasingly just gotten out of the way of the providers and the Internet. So you said you had some numbers. You know, show Tell us some specifics about what happened when 
Title II was introduced in 2015 and then what happened after it was repealed two years later. Besides the fact, again, you, spoiler alert, uh, the internet what did die. Rest in peace to the internet, 1980-something uh, to 2017. Uh, big ups to the homie, the internet. But other than that, you know, what were the differences when, when it got introduced and then when it was repealed? Yeah, um, so there's a, there's been a great study to kind of look at the the talk about uh, net neutrality or, or Title II uh, and investment. Um, you know, generally, uh, I'm sure as all your smart listeners know, the government starts to get involved in something and starts talking about regulation, um, and people start to get a little squeamish, right? Uh, investing in broadband is a really uh, expensive thing. Um, over the past 25 years, private industry in the United States has put 1.8 trillion dollars into uh, broadband investment, right? This is why 96% of the people across the country um, have some kind of cable provider to their home. Um, so back in you know 2010, sort of the, the beginning of the Obama administration, kind of right after we got out of the Great Recession, started talking about this. Uh, there was a study done, I want to make sure I get this number right, um, found between 2011 and 2015, investment fell 20 to 30%, or about 30 to $40 billion annually in investment. That was just from like the uh, FCC sort of kicking the idea around um, of Title II investment. And, uh, you know, during, you know, as, as uh, you know, Title II was put into place um, until it was, you know, repealed by Ajit Pai, um, we saw a lot of the same sort of things, right? Investment sort of dropped off uh, because there's less of a profit motive. And, you know, if you think that the government is going to take over uh, the billions of dollars that you put in the infrastructure, uh, you are less likely to invest. Uh, who could have guessed? That's an utter shocker. And then obviously when it was repealed, we then saw an uptick in investment that happened as a result of that. And sort of a, I mean, we're in a bit of a internet renaissance right now in terms of, you know, the, the, the new uh, provisions and new types of services and things that are coming on deck. So, and that's not obviously the only, uh, only a result of the, of the, um, re re the repeal mm -hmm. of title two, but certainly a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll just give one thing. Uh, U.S. broadband screens from uh, increased 91% from 2019 to 2020. So uh, on average, you know, you basically saw a doubling of speeds across the entire United States. Uh, again, like this could not have come at a better time, right? Like nobody knew we were about to be in a global right. pandemic and be locked down. Right. Um, but, you know, it had had we kept in Title II, uh, I doubt severely we would have seen these sorts of, um, you know, these sorts of improvements. You know, that's not to say the digital divide is not real. Um, that is something we work a lot on at the Pelican Institute. A lot of states with rural populations, um, you know, struggle to get online. We can talk a little bit about Starlink and, and some of the great um, innovations there. Right. So I don't want to say everything is perfect and, and we have 100% coverage. That's not the case. Um, but if you do have coverage and, you know, we're continuing to see investment, uh, chances are that your speeds are going through the roof uh, to kind of take uh, account of everything that you're doing online, whether it's us talking on Facebook Live right now, uh, whether it's your kid going to school virtually, whether it's working from home, or you know streaming. What's on Netflix these days? I don't know where the kid's watching. I'm watching Godzilla vs Kong on HBO. I'm really excited for it. I'm I'm told that I need to be watching, and I immediately forgot it, so I probably won't be watching it unless it's accidentally. I so rarely watch TV anyway, but it was, oh man, the Chicago Seven. I think it's called oh yeah yeah that new movie out on netflix yeah i think it got nominated for a lot of oscars very excited yeah 
Yeah, and the problem is I'm very contrary. So when people tell me you need to watch something, I'm like, I'm not never going to watch it. People told me in 2007, you should watch The Office. That really seems like your kind of humor. And I'm like, just for that, I'll never watch it. And then I didn't start watching it until like 2017. And I watched like the whole thing on Netflix. And I'm like, why did I punish myself with not watching The Office for 10 years? Anyway, um, so, uh, so this is what happens when the throttle is let off by by government when it allows the market to provide uh and the you know there's also corollary effects to this right so like if we have more uh easy and and cheap and plentiful ability for people to telecommute and bosses and we, we've seen this with the pandemic but a lot of these telecommute jobs aren't going back to in in person that businesses are realizing that the meetings they were having every day weren't necessary that having all these people come to an office space that they're having to pay for upkeep for isn't necessary they're just as productive if not more from home uh their their uh quality of life is higher they're happier with their job like it's it's better overall that also leads to lower energy prices because people aren't having to do these unnecessary commutes back and forth just to go and sit in an office and do what they could do from home. Um, it leads to more time with family because you're at home. You're not having to spend that commute time. It leads to more free time. It leads to all these great things that happen when we're able to better utilize technology. Now, Eric, interestingly enough, it seems like most of, if not all of the major big tech carriers are 100% behind reintroducing uh, Title II. And the exception seems to be the carriers. So, for example, like AT&T, Verizon, and so forth seem to be against it. And this feels like a crony warfare thing. Like the lobbies are are fighting in D.C. and state capitals around the country over which lobby wins. But I don't really care which lobby wins. What I do care about is we're often told that, you know, uh, well, if, if a if a industry supports something that means it's good and yet we're talking about how this is bad for the internet and yet most of the major providers in the internet support it why why do you think that is yeah uh, i mean I, I don't want to throw any tech company uh, sort of under the bus but i, I think we are seeing um, a big fracturing of, of silicon valley um, and of course some of the carriers might not you might not qualify them as silicon valley but um the sort of infighting i i think of um, you know, pushing government for some sort of regulation that will benefit them and sort of harm their competitor right. um, is something more and more of, um, you know, traditionally Silicon Valley had been a, uh, you know, we're just let, you know, let us be, let us innovate, um, you know, let, let right. the best man win. And in some ways, despite the fact that people think of Silicon Valley as a, a very liberal sort of place, right, they had a very kind of cap capitalistic ethos, right, they wanted to innovate, they wanted to make a billion dollars and start this great new company and, and serve all these people. And they have uh, for a lot of ways, right? You know, Facebook, Zoom, Google, um, you know, we, you know, we can go on and on and on. Um, but, you know, you're seeing sort of the, these battle lines being drawn and net neutrality is certainly one of those battle lines where, like you said, a lot of uh, the content providers um, are sort of fighting uh, the carriers o over this. And, you know, part of it is because uh, they're big users of bandwidth, right? Uh, they wanted to make sure that they could continue to eat up, you know, really large chunks of bandwidth um, and without really having to pay anything extra for it. Um, and that neutrality is, is one way to do that, right? So then, so, I mean, there is that aspect to it, but it seems like that, again, that's just the net neutrality part. If they're supporting all of Title II, which essentially puts a chokehold back on investment in the internet, it seems like at least long-term and possibly even short-term, that would hurt a lot of these big tech companies. And yet they seem to 
almost uniformly support it. And I, I'm not expecting you to throw a specific company under the bus. And there's not really a need to because we're talking about nearly an entire industry that's, you know, uh, at least on, with the exception of the carriers and some outliers, most of all the major players, Mozilla and Facebook and, and Microsoft mm-hmm. and all these different companies, they're supporting um, the reintroduction of Title II. And it, it seems kind of counterintuitive. Do you think that it's, I mean, this wouldn't be the first time that, you know, an industry supports regulations that ultimately hurts it, but do you think there's a, an ulterior motive? Do you think that it it only hurts the the disruptors and kind of helps the cronies? Or do you think this is just like bad idea? Like they're just adopting or supporting something that is ultimately harmful to them? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know that it's ultimately going to be harmful to the bottom, their bottom line, but, you know, companies often can sort of look in their short-term interests, right? Don't They can't right. necessarily see kind of 15 years down the road. Sometimes they do, uh, right? You know, you talk about Amazon, right? That was a company that saw 10 to 15 years down the road and mm-hmm. the rise of e-commerce, and now they're, uh, you know, one of the most fabulously wealthy companies in the world, or for SpaceX, right. um, another company that sort of looked in the future. But, you know, not all companies sort of act that way. Um and we can also get into this. I know, I know I prepared some tweets to read about net neutrality, but be, it became such a culture war issue, right? Uh, you would see people on Reddit sort of uh, saying that, you know, if we get rid of net neutrality, that, um, you know, Reddit will go down and you know, it'll destroy everything. And sort of um, at that point, a lot of these companies sort of got boxed into a corner, right? Maybe they were sort of, eh, if you're net neutrality, they don't want to get right. into it. Uh, but, you know, when the internet legions sort of like, you know, you have to support net neutrality if you support an open internet. Uh, if you're a company that has you know, users and you want to make them happy and, and signal to them that you support it, open internet, um, you kind of have to support net neutrality. So there is a virtue signaling aspect to it. Because at moments it felt like when you know Microsoft on June 1st puts up their rainbow version of their logo and then on the evening of June 30th, uh, you know, it puts up the uh, it puts back the regular logo. You know, they did their their 30 days of allotted LGBT, uh, you know, acceptance or whatever. Uh, not any actual demonstration of acceptance of anyone, but just the sort of like, well, I as a corporation am doing this, you know, allotted virtue signaling period um, and, and making a couple you know posts about it during that time or whatever. And it had there was kind of an, a feeling of the same type of element in the messaging about net neutrality they'd say we support an open internet and it's like okay is there someone out there going no we support a closed internet besides the chinese government but i mean is is was there another side going no close the internet or was that so i mean it was kind of a it, there was a, a cultural aspect to it as well yeah i mean i mean i, I think absolutely right when you, you would see some of these tweets go out and, and you realize like they're not talking about net neutrality at all or title two regulation right right that sort of stuff, like all goes over people's heads it's one of the things you sort of you know learn in policy right is most people uh if they pay attention to your policy at all they see it at a, a ten thousand foot level and that's where the messaging becomes um so so very important but Sound um, bites, you know yep. you're lucky when you sort of have uh, principled people who understand the policy understand the effects of it and are sort of willing to push against the grain, um, you know, for the right reasons. But, you know, those people are uh, few and far between, unfortunately, sometimes. Yeah, most people, they want sound bites. And it's it's one thing that I learned over the last few years is I prefer this type of conversation where we can actually delve into stuff. Most people, it's like, tell me this in 10 seconds and and do your best to appeal to my emotion while you're saying it, or I, you might lose me in second four. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but that is the reality of, of how these things have to happen. So this could be an example where, you know, this, 
the, the, the government and cronies are, are pushing a cultural message or pushing a message to the culture that's uh, ultimately pursuing a really, you know, a ruinous policy in Title II. Now, um, what is the it seems like there's indications that Joe Biden uh, does want to move forward on this. He's being very quiet about it, uh, interestingly enough, but uh, or, or and the administration in general is. But what are some of those um, those examples of, of those, um, I guess, evidence or, or hints that that he's pushing forward on this? Yeah, um, you know, Tom Wheeler, who was the FCC chairman um, at the end of the Obama administration, who had put forth uh, the Title II regulations is sort of uh, been spending a lot of time talking about it again. Um, the FCC, for those who don't know, is a uh, a, a body made up of five uh, commissioners, uh, one of whom is a, is a chairman, uh, and the sort of party that has the executive branch has a 3-2 a right. um, sort of advantage there. So right now it is currently 2-2. Joe Biden has not put forth another FCC uh, chairperson. So I, I think a lot uh, will learn from the Biden administration by who he puts there, right? Is it somebody who's vowed to put back net neutrality? Um, or is it somebody who, you know, cares much more about closing the digital divide or opening up spectrum? Um, some of the great stuff we can talk about the, the FCC doing to make the internet a, a better, more open, freer place. Um, so I, I think that will tell us a lot about it. Um, you know, we can get into California who's, who's been working on it, but the, the Biden administration has been quiet on it. Uh, though they also have not been quite on the broadband front. So we can we can perhaps talk a little bit. We have a government is trending to your internet network. Uh, that is not Title II regulations because there's some of that stuff going on too. Yeah, well, we've seen, you know, Joe Biden, the, the tweets, X is infrastructure. So in this infrastructure bill, which infrastructure was always meant, you know, roads and bridges and maybe the electrical grid. And now they've just started adding everything. Everything is infrastructure. Every single thing is infrastructure, including the internet. So everything needs to be added to this massive pork bill. What could possibly go wrong? Now, you had mentioned before, uh, we have some examples of really just cringy tweets from politicians and pundits about net neutrality. Uh, I, let's let's hear some of these so we can get, you know, we, we've gotten some actual like scholarly discussion about what this is. Let's, let's hear what politicians usually have to say about this kind of stuff. Yeah, um, so Minnesota has been in the news recently. Um, so we've got former Senator Al Franken. He goes, I've called net neutrality the free speech issue of our time. It embraces our most basic constitutional freedoms. It is vital for to our democracy. Um, I think when most people think about free speech issues uh, on the internet right now, sort of uh, net neutrality is probably not on the top of that list. Um, so uh, we've got Senator Ed Markey uh, out of Massachusetts. If the uh, FCC kills net neutrality, the internet will never be the same. Uh, we've got Bernie Sanders. Uh, once again, the Trump administration sides with big money against democracy. If this passes, the internet and its free exchange of information, as we have come to know it, will cease to exist. It existed um, for two years. I just want to say on those last two tweets, this existed for two years. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it the, will the internet end the internet. I just yeah. And uh, NBC News had one uh, ending net neutrality will destroy everything that makes the Internet great. Wow. Uh, GQ, how the FCC killing of net neutrality will ruin the Internet forever. Um, you know, we had, of course, the, the famous sort of Banksy tweet um, where he sort of put that you were going to have to pay, you know, one ninety nine per Google search. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to have to pay five dollars for every Netflix movie you watched. Uh, you know, that got shared like a, a hundred thousand times. Um, the Senate Democrats, I went and looked up this today. It is still out there. You can Google it. Um, 
they have this tweet where it says something to the effect of if we end net neutrality, Twitter will load one word at a time and they sort of put a, a giant space between all of it. Um, and of course, uh, Twitter is not loading one uh, you know, tweet at a time or one word at a time. Uh, it's loading faster than ever, as a matter of yeah. fact. Yeah, uh, yeah. So please go to Twitter and you know, like and share this uh, great podcast. Well, yes, like and share this podcast and recognize that it's not being loaded. If it is being loaded one tweet at a time, one word at a time, then it's, you probably need to reset your router. Um, I'm just, you know, those tweets, it requires, and it shows who their audience is. Their audience mm-hmm. is people that have absolutely no idea what's being talked about. So when you hear this will end the internet, you go, my God, they can't do this. It'll end the internet. Well, no one mentions the fact that, or they certainly didn't mention the fact that this didn't exist until 2015. The internet was perfectly fine. Before that, has been perfectly fine since then. Uh, no reason to think that any of that. Um, I love the, you know, Bernie Sanders, uh, I, I love his 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 attacks on big money while he rakes in hundreds of millions of dollars. But uh, especially, this is especially ironic because he's saying they've sided with big money. Almost the entire big tech sector is at, at least 80, 85% of the big tech se- sector, as well as corporate media, NBC News is, is uh, you know, 100% behind reintroducing this. But this, but, you know, that's, that's not big money. That's good people. Big money is the ones who want the internet to be free. Let, let's, let's have a bit of a palate cleansing here. Let's talk a little bit about some of the good things you had mentioned, uh, bridging the digital divide, uh, increasing the uh, uh, increasing bandwidth and things like that. Let's talk about some of the good things that have been coming out of the FCC and your take on whether that's going to continue uh, under the under the Biden administration. Yeah, um, I mean, and foremost, let me just give a, a huge shout out to Ajit Pai, who, of course, uh, was the main driving force in uh, yeah revoking that neutrality one of the the best government officials we've had in a long time uh certainly one of the most memeable ones right with his giant recess coffee mug uh which you can know now go bid on it is an nft there's an nft of a jeep pie uh, looking at a picture of himself holding up his recess mug uh with his recess mug um if that is not innovation <laughs> I, I don't know what is uh it, it's great he's doing it for a good cause so uh give him a follow and go and go bid on his nft um but yeah, I mean, I think outside of, of net neutrality, right, I think his his chairmanship uh, was marked by actually really good bipartisanship. Um, you know, Tom Wheeler kind of before him wouldn't put out his agenda uh, beforehand. Uh, you know, Ajit Pai would, would put it out like a, a month and a half beforehand. So everyone knew what was going to be voted on, what was coming up. Um, they worked really well with Democrats in freeing up um, wireless spectrum. Uh, for those of you who don't know what wireless spectrum is, it makes your cell phone work, it makes your Wi-Fi work, uh, it gives you 5G, um, all those sort of great things um, that, you know, when we're a more mobile society, right, we all expect to have the internet in our pockets all the time. Uh, yeah. And we can, only, we can only do that because of spectrum and, uh, you know, and it's kind of infinite wisdom, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the FCC took a lot of spectrum, they gave it to sort of favorite organizations uh, who, what do you know, uh, didn't spend a lot of uh, time developing the spectrum because they didn't really have a profit motive or incentive to do right. so. Mm-hmm. The FCC has spent a lot of time, again, in a very bipartisan, safe manner, clawing back a lot of that spectrum, making it available for private use. Um, the C-band, which is going to be uh, vital, vital for um, for 5G, 
Um, it, it's, you know, it just has every characteristic you need to get fast internet across the country. Um, they recently auctioned it off. Uh, they raised $80 billion. Most government entities spend $80 billion. The FCC right. gave $80 billion uh, voluntarily from corporations back to taxpayers uh, from, from auctioning off the spectrum. And that, that investment will go to make sure that your cell phone works faster, to make sure that uh, the Internet of Things goes to make sure that America is a 5G leader when it comes to China. Um, you know, that's some of the great stuff that you saw out of that FCC. Um, uh, Brendan Carr um, has recently put out a spectrum calendar. Uh, it's the first time that, that I know of a commissioner doing this saying, hey, look, we got to keep freeing up the spectrum. You know, wireless is, is where we're going. Um, yeah. We need to make as much of it available as possible. And when wanting to work with the rest of the uh, commissioners on the FCC, and I, I certainly wish him uh, good luck as they as they go forward and uh, and do that. And of course, uh, I think something that you know every good libertarian loves loves uh, SpaceX and uh, and all that good stuff. They worked really hard on their sort of orbital debris rules uh, to kind of get Starlink up and going. Right, um, satellite internet, if it existed before, had a really terrible latency, uh, which just translates to you really can't use it for things like gaming or, or video streaming or video conferencing. Right, it, it just is not set up for that. Yeah. Um, when they rework their rules, um, Starlink is now saying that they will have 100 megabits per second download speed and 20 megabits per second upload speed across the United States by 2022. Um, again, as sort of, you know, the advocates of net neutrality would say, you know, the internet is just like a utility, right? You're only going to get one provider. There's no way we can have competition in this market. The only way we can do it is have government kind of get involved and set price controls and regulate what's going where. Um, that's just how it's got to be. And, you know, in like a year and eight months, everyone will have access to at minimum uh, one provider, but most likely two or three. Um, you know, that, that's the kind of great stuff that we've seen on the innovation from opening up spectrum and uh, reducing regulations. And, and really, again, the digital divide is real and something that needs to be, uh, you know, dealt with. Um, you know, I think states can play a very important role on that, but, um, you know, we're seeing it kind of close faster than ever. And, uh, you know, thank goodness. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought this up, the theory about utilities. The theory, and I don't even believe it with other with things that it's much more appropriate to, um, but the theory of government needing to get involved with utilities is that, for example, if you think of something like water and sewer or electricity um, or things like that, and honestly, I don't even agree with it, with electricity, but let's say water and sewer or uh, with roads and things like that, they'll say, well... It's not really feasible to have multiple providers. You can't have multiple water providers, uh, at least not through the pipe system, because there's one single pipe system. You can't have all these different competing pipe systems or competing sewer lines and things like that. Although uh, more and more people are getting their water uh, from uh, from delivery services, but that's a whole other subject. In terms of getting it, like for tap water and for uh, you know for for um, potable water uses and things like that, you know the idea is that it's not really possible, and so the government needs to come in and sort of create a a provider uh, or or re deeply regulate the provider that's there um, and tell them what their options are. Now, again, with electricity, it increasingly is not the case because you can have. Uh, you can have uh, both a power grid uh, and you can also have people that are getting their own power off grid. You can also now increasingly there are natural gas lines being uh, 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 
buried and, and dug through all sorts of parts of the country. We started seeing that here in the Myrtle Beach area. Uh, and there are small generators that can actually use the natural gas to generate electricity uh, on site for the homes and businesses. So even that is increasingly not true. The internet? There is yeah. no reason when you can get internet from land uh, 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 land sources like cable and DSL and, 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 um, and dry loop, um, you can get it from your phone carrier. You can eventually get it from satellite services. There's no reason. Uh, there's There are a few services that can be provided in more different ways than the internet. If there is a, one example of something that doesn't need to be regulated because competition, if allowed to, to exist, will keep get price, move prices down and move innovation up, the internet is that example. We've been watching it since the 80s that the internet went from sort of this DARPA project uh, and then an intranet that was being used mostly for, you know, uh, small electronic communications to now like us doing an HD live stream on multiple platforms. And that's happened inside of a generation. There's no argument that the government needs to be involved in this at in any real way. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to sort of like where the FCC, you know, why why they're involved in this in the first place, right? It had to do with over telephone lines for for people who who sort of remember uh, dial up. But you know that that was sort of the theory on on uh, why we needed Ma Bell, right? It was just it was impractical to have more than one phone line right. um, for long distance calls, and so the the best way is to have the government kind of be a rate maker again, a common carrier, kind of what we were talking about. Um, then, you know, the FCC started to get deregulatory, broke it up. Um, and now like the idea that we would pay money to call people in Europe is crazy. You know, I, I, we rem I remember, uh, you know, commercials, right. You know, you could call at night and you could get better like minute rates by calling people abroad. Right. Now I go on yeah. my phone and use WhatsApp and I can talk to them and see their face and they can walk me around their house and HD streaming like instantaneously. Uh, yeah. And that sort of happened because they, you know, went to deregulation. Uh, and it wasn't just didn't start with the internet; it started with the phone carriers, right? There's a reason that AT and T is also a major sort of, um, you know, internet provider, right? They were they were in the phone game first, which is sort of where this technology came from. Uh, but like you said, the, the the change in internet technology has gotten so great over the time, um, and it doesn't sort of have those problems of, of water and electricity where you need. Uh, a physical thing to to move data, right? We figured out how to move it over a wireless spectrum. Uh, that's not to say that you know fiber isn't very important. Fiber is the the backbone of America's um, internet network. There there's always a wire somewhere that transmits the data, um, you know. But wireless is an increasingly important part of that. Uh, I would also say you know I live in New Orleans um, where I get gig internet speed for fifty bucks a month and HBO uh, Max for free. Uh, my water bill is often higher than that. My energy bill is often twice that. Um, if you and you know those are both sort of regulated industries. So if you you know I wish my electricity and sewer worked as well as my internet did. Uh, you know the city of New Orleans. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up a photo of what the Ma Bell phone looked like for decades. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know if uh, your viewers have seen that where they put the old rotary phone uh, in front of, uh, you know, Zaniels and they're like, how do you make a phone call on this? And they sort of can't figure it out. 
Yeah, the, this is it's incredible here. I found this one because then there was there was the the first one that came out in like the 50s and we had it for 30 years. This was the phone that you got. If you show this to like your grandparents, guys, uh, they're going to have PTSD from it. This phone was the phone. What's that? My grandmother still has that phone. Yeah, this phone was the phone that you could get for decades like decades, this was the only thing you could get. And then, you know, in an absolute groundswell of, of innovation, about 35 years after this phone came out, they replaced it with this one. It had buttons instead of rotary. Like, and this was the phone until they started breaking up Ma Bell. And then suddenly you had all these different phones. You had wireless phones. Uh, and I don't mean wireless phones as in like, cell phones i mean wireless phones as in the receiver could be taken from the the actual hub the, the the phone itself and you could walk around that room and eventually you could walk into other rooms and then one day they had this brick looking thing it was a lot bigger than this and they went yeah you can use this anywhere it's going to cost you a fortune and then eventually that became smaller and cheaper and now i got this thing it's they've actually grown in time but it's because now they're also computers and hd cameras on both sides and they're gps enabled and you can do everything on this almost everything you can do on a computer and that all happened in the same amount of time that we went from this to this that's the difference between government being the rate uh you know rate provider the or the the rate checker and and the common carrier or or designating a crony common carrier and just letting people compete and it's mind-blowing that that's not the standard way of doing things. Now, Eric, talk to me about what Starlink and and what satellite internet and what this new innovation of internet means for people that are far from the grid, people in Appalachia, not to mention people in other countries, people in, you know, far-flung parts of the world that that don't aren't near any kind of infrastructure to speak of. Yeah, I mean I mean Starlink has the the ability to absolutely I mean up and the internet, right? I again uh, there will always have to kind of be this physical infrastructure, but, right. um, you know, they're launching a constellation of satellites. Uh, Starlink is part of SpaceX, for, for those of you who don't know, um, and they'll, you know, sort of been covering the entire United States uh, by 2022. Um, you can go buy yourself a, a satellite dish for the, you know, people who remember DirecTV or satellite TV uh, looks a lot like that. You can go pre-order it now for 500 bucks. Um, I think their internet will be a hundred uh, bucks a month, which is, you know, a little, you know, more expensive, but if you consider uh, the costs between, you know, building out fiber to somebody's house, which might cost, you know, $50,000 per mile versus giving them a $500 satellite dish, uh, it's yeah. a really, really good value. And I'm sure the price of that will, you know, can continue to go down over time. Of course, as they can of course. They compete with technologies like 5G uh, or fixed wireless internet, which is, uh, again, sort of light satellite internet, but um, rather than putting it up in space, they just put it on a big cell phone tower. Um, you know, these are the sorts of innovations that we're seeing uh, to sort of close that digital divide. Um, I, I will say one thing about the digital divide. We, we spend so much time uh, talking about availability of, of the internet, and that is really important. You know, there are a lot of places that you just kind of can't, uh, you know, run kind of cable or whatever out to people. But the biggest driver of the digital divide is both digital literacy and uh, affordability for people. Uh, if we want to talk about getting more people online, a lot of it is just, you know, making sure they know how to get online, right? You know, yeah. some people in an older generation, I know people who are 20 years old, 
think, oh my God, who isn't online? But you know, that's still that's still a problem with a lot of Americans yeah. or people yeah. in the world. Um, and you know, just a lot of people can't afford to pay even yeah. twenty, thirty dollars a month for sort of high speed internet, even if it's available to them. So, so much of this, you know, conversation is about how the internet works for people who have it, or you know, building it out to these people. But um, you know, there's a large chunk of people who are kind of being left behind in the digital revolution. Uh, not because they don't have fiber to the house, but because they can't afford it or they don't know how to use it. Yeah. And and now, thankfully, uh, well, actually, we can talk about that in a moment. Um, uh, well, no, I guess we can talk about it now. Thankfully, the Biden administration uh, is planning to spend lots and lots and lots of money on the Internet. And surely that won't end poorly, Eric, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I don't remember uh, if, if people remember earlier, I talked about uh, there was maybe 20 to 30 billion dollars uh, in lost investment due to talk about Title II regulation. So, in order to make up for all that uh, lost money, uh, the Biden administration is planning on spending a hundred billion dollars uh, on broadband internet across the United States. Uh, never mind that the studies that have come out that saying getting 100% access will cost 80 billion dollars. 100 billion is a nice round number that you can go put in a press release and, and looks good. Um, you know, it's, it's got a few sort of things that I, I think are very troubling. Uh, again, we talk about the digital divide, right? We're talking about people that have access to no internet whatsoever. The FCC uh, is spending $20 billion to connect those people and they're doing so in a very uh, smart targeted way, right? They set up these maps to sort of look at who doesn't have internet access. They have people competitively bid to go serve these people. Uh, and they've actually spent uh, already $10 billion will be distributed over the next six years, um, 300 million of which are going to, to my state of Louisiana to, and it's gonna make a huge difference down here. Um, there's also, we're getting a lot of money from the American recovery plan because we just spent uh, $1.9 trillion. And uh, yeah. brought, like you said, broadband is infrastructure. So some of that money will be going there. Uh, but on top of all that, they wanna spend $100 billion for quote, future-proof networks. Uh, what does that mean? Future-proof networks in government speaks means fiber to every home in America. Um, I think we just you know, had a great discussion about why fiber to America is not great uh, for everyone. For one thing, people not, can't necessarily afford it. Uh, two, we have these great other technologies like 5G, fixed wireless, Starlink, uh, to reach people in these sorts of areas. And so you might ask yourself, you know, why, why fiber everywhere? Um, you know, why, why are they sort of, you know, trying to talk about future proofing networks? Um, this is going on at the same time that a lot of people in Congress are talking about changing the definition of broadband from uh, 25 megabits uh, download speed to three megabits per second upload speed, which is fast enough to do anything that we're doing right now, you know, be on Twitter, video call, et cetera, right. et cetera. Um, they want to move it to 100 to 100 so-called symmetrical speed. Uh, this makes no sense for a variety of reasons. Number one, downstream traffic outnumbers upstream traffic, uh, you know, 14 to one. Yeah. You know, we spend, we spend a lot more time downloading stuff on Netflix than we do video calling people, uh, or gaming or sort of things that take upstream, uh, traffic. Uh, but the reason to do that is because all of a sudden it takes a large swath of the American people in urban and suburban areas and qualifies them as unserved. So the government can spend a lot of money building out these networks, uh, you know, to, to, to give money to these people. Um, even worse, the Biden administration has said that the profit motive is the problem with the internet. It's the reason it's so expensive. It's the reason we don't have all the service we need. So they want to spend a lot of money giving it to co-ops or government-run broadband, uh, which has proven to be an absolute disaster and absolutely everywhere it's been tried. Um, yeah. 
but you know you can't if you say oh only government owned uh, networks in unserved areas uh, no governments in those areas want to build government owned networks because they're ill suited to do so but governments in places like new orleans or lafayette um, which has a government owned network in louisiana would love a huge subsidy from the biden administration uh, to go do that so that is sort of what's going on in the the biden broadband takeover of the internet um, you know, it sounds good, right? We want to get 100% access to 100% of Americans. We're going to spend $100 billion. Yeah. Uh, and once again, the, the you know, rural unserved areas are going to be left behind uh, in favor of government-owned networks. Uh, you know, the very people who have very good, you know, internet service as it is. You know, maybe it's not perfect. Uh, that's, you know, I, I can't guarantee that. But it is better than the people who have nothing. And, uh, you know, it's putting them at the back of the line. Yeah, it's it's government agencies over actual actually serving internet needs. And what's incredible is nothing says future proof like building more landlines, Eric. Like it's obvious everything is going to wireless and mobile. Like everything is going to wireless. I foresee a time when we're going to have very little actual physical lines being used. Um, there's basically no latency anymore for most wireless uh, providers. Um, and yes, for, with satellite, there is now, but eventually there will be less of that. Um, a landline takes so much more cost, which is great if you're doing a public works project for the government, not so much if you're actually a for-profit company trying to provide uh, a service in the most efficient way possible. Um, it's, you know, everything is moving towards towards wireless and and not just in um in uh the internet we're seeing that i mean wireless has taken over telecom this would be like saying we're going to future proof uh that the telephone services by putting uh phone lines in everyone's rooms like it, it's the opposite of future proofing and and 100 megabyte upload and download for now is is foolish because uh 100 megabyte upload I don't even need that. And I have a show that, that I, you know, do uh, five, I, I use five megabytes a second, roughly to upload, uh, to stream my show. So even with 10, I'm good. And most people aren't even using that much for, for that. Most people, like you said, five is more than enough. But eventually that's going to be stupid because that'll be a ridiculously no, low number and your phone will be able to do a gigabyte a second upload with no problem, um, with no kind of need for drilling more holes and, and replacing old lines with new ones. This is a public works, you know, boondoggle, government labor type of deal this is not this has nothing to do with the uh with expanding the internet it actually does the opposite it throws uh bad money good money after bad in propping up government-run uh internet providers who suck and co compared to their their private competitors who are spending far less per per uh, consumer and, and providing much better options and also it's it's going and like you know nothing says green new deal like you know, digging holes everywhere and, and having trucks go around the whole planet to d drill lines into the ground that no one's going to use in 10 years. Like, it's just, it's the opposite of what, where we should be going. Yeah, I'll disagree with you a little bit that that fiber okay. is going to reduce the backbone of the internet, right? We, you know, wireless internet goes into fiber somewhere. So putting more fiber in the ground um, for sort of your, it's called backhaul, right? It's, it's sort of, um, you know, what comes off of your phone or, or computer or whatever like that that is really important um but you know carriers continue to make large investments in fiber um right. you know the government doesn't really need to to go do that 
uh, what doesn't make sense is trying to run fiber to to every home in America. That, that's uh, and that's what I meant. Yeah, there will always be an actual physical line somewhere, but it's going to be to like hubs and things like that, not not your house and every single room in it. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the, the future is you know wireless, and it's not just you know on our phones or on our laptops, right? It's the Internet of Things. It is having your car be connected. It's having your smartwatch be connected. It's having your you know, health monitoring system being connected to the internet, right? It's your autonomous vehicle. Um, all that requires like an investment in wireless technology. Uh, and like I said, you know, the C-band auction brought in $80 billion because people are ready to invest in wireless technologies. It is the new big yep. thing. People want to be first. We, you know, we want America to be first in China. Uh, and that requires something just called opening up spectrum and letting, you know, the private industry invest. There was a talk, uh, you know, kind of at the end of the Trump administration of having, the Department of Defense, you know, build out a 5G network. And I can think of no better way to lose to China than try to out China China. Um, but, you know, <laughs> sort of, you know, like net neutrality, right? Um, there's sort of this ideological component over the internet, right? It's, you know, I, I believe that net neutrality is the right way to work the internet. So we need to have Title II. I believe the profit motive is wrong. Um, so we need to have government-owned broadband. You know, never mind the fact that it requires billions of dollars in upfront investment. Um, and most of them have been abject failures where people don't sign up or they've had to sell off to the private sector. Um, you know, that doesn't matter. But when you talk about something as important, the internet and the internet infrastructure, right? It shouldn't be ideological. Um, it should be factless. It should be, you know, the private market has proven again and again, it delivers us the stuff that we want. Uh, yep. Trying to get government in the way is the absolute wrong way to go on this thing. Uh, not to mention that I think we passed 100% of uh, debt by GDP. Um, so do we really need to spend another $100 billion on this? Uh, you know, I, I know, you know, money machine go burr, but, uh, <laughs> you know, this is perhaps not the best way to spend it. Well, and that's the thing. It's it's not, it's money machine go burr and it's money machine go burr to, you know, government is basically the sunken cost fallacy as policy. We've spent all this money. It's not working. Clearly, we need to spend more. And that's, you know, it, it, it's it's throwing money at something that there are providers that are nipping at the at, at the at the butt to be able to uh, to go out there and 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 provide these things and invest. Literally, all the government has to do is just go. All right, you do it then. And it's like you said, with the with the C-band, they just they allowed it. Now, you know, libertarian that I am, I'd rather the government not be licensing any, anything. I think they should just let people, uh, you know, uh, bid for it and, and, and own it and not, you know, even have the government involved. But regardless, if you're going to go the licensing route versus the no, we'll control it and tell people who can use it route, that uh, that is definitely not going to work in the right direction. Now, before we get into some of the other stuff that Pelican Institute is doing, let's kind of put a, a neat little bow on this. First, let's talk about what's happening with California. Uh, they introduced, is it, did they just pass the net neutrality aspect or did they basically introduce their version of Title II in California? And and what does that look like for the rest of the country? Yeah, so in, in 2018, they went and they passed sort of their own net neutrality law, right? This was kind of kind of coming off the hysteria, right, of, of a GPI, yeah. ending the internet as we know it in all these yes. uh, states. Oh my God, save our internet, we're going to save our people we're going to pass net neutrality. Um, and, you know, it's taken a few years to sort of put it into effect and we're starting to see it now. Um, you know, there's something we didn't get into, or we got into the fact that, you know, net neutrality, you have to treat all content equally, no matter what. Um, so there's this great veterans health app 
that has a zero rating, what does that mean? That means when you, you know, use it on your mobile phone, it doesn't count against your data cap. Uh, we, you know, we think our veterans are so important and their access to mental health is so important mm -hmm. that, you know, you can kind of access them anytime for free under okay. California's net neutrality rule, that would be illegal. Um, so there's been this sort of big kind of kerfluffle over that. Uh, but, you know, zero rating is, is available for a lot of things. Uh, T-Mobile, right? Uh, uh, innovative um, wireless company has this agreement with uh, Major League Baseball. I don't know if you're a baseball fan, baseball fan said, if you sign up for our service, you can get MLB TV for free and it's not going to count against your data cap. Um, under net neutrality, that would have been blatantly illegal because they're favoring some content over another. Um, you know, the government says this, we need this to protect consumers. Um, if protecting consumers from free baseball um, is what you're doing, I would say that is pretty un-American. Yeah, that's actually a good talking point. You want one of those, those, uh, those sound bites, you go, they're protecting you from free stuff. That doesn't seem like protection. Uh, and it's not, and it's true. It's free not, baseball. and it's actual free stuff. It's free baseball. Yeah. Free, but free anything, you know, like, uh, yeah, the government's protecting you from providers enticing you to join them by giving you free stuff uh, and actual free stuff, not free stuff. Like the government, you know, taxes you by the trillions and then gives some of it back to you if they decide you deserve it. Actual free stuff where if you join them instead of their competitor, uh, they, they just give you things in addition to, you know, the, the, the price of whatever service you're buying. Um, what can we do to fight this or is there anything we can do to fight it? What, if someone here is saying, you know, Eric, I am, you know, I want to fight as much as I can against the implementation of Title II. Uh, what can I do? What is there that we can do? Who can we contact? Yeah, um, obviously the stuff in California is going uh, through the Supreme Court, right? There's sort of a question whether or not California can sort of regulate the internet for the rest of us. Because, right. you know, we know there's no such thing as a California or a Washington internet, right? There's right. a... At, at minimum, there's an American internet, but, you know, more likely there's sort of a worldwide internet, right? So, uh, you know, I like federalism as much as the next guy, uh, but, you know, a proper understanding of federalism is sort of the right level of government for the right thing, right? We don't want our local government setting our national defense policy. Uh, they're pretty ill-suited to do so. And I would sort of argue that uh, California setting the, the nation's internet policy is also probably a, a mistake. And there's a lack um, yeah. of representation there. If you have one state deciding what the entire country or world's internet looks like, the rest of us are having absolutely no say in even the representatives who are deciding that. Yeah, 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 that, that's exactly right. Um, so what, what can you do, right? Um, you know, the FCC is tough. Uh, you know, it's an, it's an unelected body, right? Um, you can't, you know, vote somebody out. Um, otherwise, I'm sure Ajit Pai would have been voted out. Uh, I'm very glad he wasn't, and he was able to sort of get through that. But, um, you know, I, I think as the Biden administration moves forward, right, trying to put pressure on them to pick somebody who is not going to kind of get in line with the Title II stuff is probably going to be, be the best thing you can do. Um, you know, if they start to do Title II rule, rulemaking, um, you know, you can put in comments, they have to read them. Uh, but, you know, just sort of talk to your friends and neighbors about this. Say, yeah, hey, remember that net neutrality thing that happened a few years ago and everyone got worked up and hated this one guy because he's going to destroy the Internet? Remember how that didn't happen and the Internet's better than ever before? Um, I think that will go a long way, right? Sort of people let themselves get whipped into a frenzy and, and believe that all the bad things were going to happen. And I, I, my hope is that if they try it again, that the messaging just sort of, sort of won't sink through, that people have sort of picked up that the internet wasn't destroyed, that it's better than ever. Um, you know, I, I think sort of on the, the Biden broadband plan, right? Um, if you're in a rural state, 
right? Talk to your representative. Say, you know, we, I understand closing the digital divide is important. Uh, this plan is going to leave behind the people that need it most. You know, we're in a very close House and Senate. Uh, a few votes either way could sort of end that part of the plan. Um, so I, I think on that, you know, metric in terms of, you know, do we want the government running the internet? Uh, you know, your ability to kind of stop that, I think, is actually uh, is, is actually pretty high. Cool. Cool. And vote libertarian. He didn't say that, but I did. Um, so, uh, OK, cool. So let's talk about before I let you go, um, let's talk about some of the other stuff that you and the, the Pelican Institute are doing in Louisiana. Uh, I, I really do. I, it, and I thought about this actually before I had you on because I had another group called For All Tennessee and they're a Tennessee based uh, lobbying group and they're working on building a think tank as well um, and doing kind of that the the libertarian stuff at the or free market stuff at the at the statewide level. And uh, I do think I'm going to kind of uh, do a series of interviewing different people across the country that are doing similar things. So more on that later. But talk to us about what what the Pelican Institute is doing uh, across the board in uh, in 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 Louisiana. Yeah, uh, I mean, Louisiana is a great place to live. Uh, I went to college here, moved away for a few years and moved back because I had such a, a deep passion for the state. Um, but it's, you know, it's one of the poorest states in the country. It's one of the most unhealthy states in the country. Um, it struggles with a lot of issues, you know, even it's sort of outside my bucket of, of technology and innovation. So mm-hmm. um, our goal is to make, you know, Louisiana a competitive state where people want to move to, where people want to invest. Um, and that, you know, requires some big fundamental reforms. Um, occupational licensing, we license more occupations than pretty much anywhere else in the country, including florists. Mm-hmm. The fine people of Louisiana are protecting you from unlicensed flower arranging. Uh, I wish I was joking. I am not. No, um, I know. I know. Uh, we have a very, very complicated tax structure. I was up at uh, the Capitol today. They're discussing that. Hopefully, we'll see some great form- reforms. We have the highest corporate income tax rate uh, in the Southeast, right? A lot of these Southern states have been cutting taxes, being more yep, business yep. friendly, getting people from Illinois, New York, California to move their businesses there, right? Uh, Tesla Other countries, just- too. Yeah, Tesla just moved to Texas. Um, you know, Louisiana has is holding on. We have all these exemptions, uh, you know, for special interests who have been lobbying for years and years and years. Um, you know, we're finally starting to kind of cut away at some of that and kind of lower our tax rate, broaden the base, do all those kind of really important tax things. But um, that's going to be a process. Uh, it is in our constitution. So even if the representatives pass it, the you know the people of Louisiana are going to have to say yes. Um, that's going to be a big lift. Um, you know, education, uh, you know, New Orleans is kind of this hotbed for education reform after Katrina, more school choice. Um, you know, we're trying to push more of that. I think during the pandemic, people saw how important school choice was uh, to the future. Um, but, you know, sort of that's, you know, kind of our, our big things. Of course, I'm really uh, working on these tech innovation issues. Uh, we just passed something called a financial sandbox, uh, which we're really excited about. Uh, you know, I started opening up with, with Dogecoin. Um, a sandbox just says that uh, if you have an innovative product, we want you to come to the state of Louisiana and test it out for a few years, and then we're going to fit you in our regulatory structure, or even better, we're going to deregulate um, and you know make Louisiana a more free place, and we're going to bring in entrepreneurs who are going to make Louisiana a place that people want to go uh, and spend their time and invest their money um, and live. And so that's you know what we're really all about down here at the Pelican Institute. We want to be a leader um, in you know, investment in jobs and education for people. But that requires, you know, major changes um, at, at the state level. That's not going to come from Washington, D.C. It's going to yeah. require good people here um, the state of Louisiana and in Baton Rouge to make the right decisions for people. And we want to help them uh, make those right decisions. 
And so your focus is on getting government out of the way of the market as much as possible so that people can have more options, so that innovators can grow homegrown there or move from other areas, so that Louisiana can be more prosperous, can be better educated, can have more choices, can be healthier, um, basically getting government as much. So it seems like an overriding theme, uh, and I'm a little bit surprised to hear you say it, but it sounds like the overriding theme behind what you and Pelican are doing is that the less involved government is in our lives and in our choices, the better off we do. So I guess I really have one question for you. How dare you? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, look, uh, you know, government is, is something that we're going to have to deal with for a long time. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, we want to try to shrink it when we can. Um, but when we can't, we want it to act better, right? Um, we talked a little bit about the FCC, right? The FCC can spend its time opening up spectrum and, you know, pushing forward 5G, or it can spend its time trying to regulate, uh, you know, the internet and make it title two. Um, and we're going to push, you know, for the for the former, not the latter, right? Yeah. So that that's lot of what we're doing down here at the Pelican Institute is shrink government when we can, uh, you know, empower the private sector. And when, you know, government's going to be there, uh, make sure it's, you know, it's working for people, uh, making sure that, you know, we have just the regulations that we need, creating innovative products like or programs like sandboxes, right? Uh, modernizing our telehealth laws so more people can get access to care in Louisiana. Yes. Um, we got, we're doing some really exciting stuff with drones, uh, that I'm really excited about. I want you know Louisiana to be a leader in the drone industry. We've got a lot of agriculture. We've got a lot of oil and gas. Um, you know we've got a lot of trade here. You know it's set up perfectly for sort of the drone industry to take flight. But um, you know that's going to require you know a government regulation uh, to deal with drones. It's set up property rights, but do it in a smart, uh, limited way that empowers the private sector. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you guys are doing that work. Um, you have been a fantastic guest, Eric. Before I let you go, um, I want to give you a chance uh, to say whatever you want to say. Anything you didn't, you think that we didn't get a chance to talk about? Uh, tell people how they can keep in touch with you and the Pelican Institute. Any upcoming stuff you want to promote? Eric Peterson, the floor is yours. Oh man, I, I kind of do bad extemporaneously, uh, but uh, yeah, you can follow <laughs> us on uh, PelicanPolicy.org. Um, you can follow me. I, I know Spike's going to tweet it out. Um, you know, go buy Dogecoin. It's going to the moon. That's not financial advice. Please don't take that seriously. It's not financial um, advice. We but, just you like know, I, I would sort of, if I can give a message, right? Um, you know, the states are the laboratories of democracy. Uh, you know, I think so, sort of the best time that, that we saw in free market policies was sort of after Obama was elected. And a lot of states said, we're going to go in a different direction. We're going to cut down regulations. We're going to cut taxes. We're going to be business friendly. Um, those policies trickle up to Washington, D.C., but that only happens if you get involved at the local level, um, decide you want to make the state the best place you can be, and really have those hotbed of innovation ideas. You know, there's not a lot of good ideas coming from Washington, D.C. these days. I think the best ideas come out of state capitals, um, and that's why I work in state policy, because this is a place for innovation. This is a place to get good policy, to make people's lives better, and see government work for them. And so that's why I'm so passionate about what I do. Um, and that's why I'm really glad on to be on your show and talk about it. So go get involved at your state le level. Let me tell you, your state rep will take your calls and they care a lot more about what you say than your congressman. Uh, yep. And there's some great congressmen out there, but um, you know, your state reps don't get a lot of calls. And so when you, when you go up and show up, it makes a heck of a lot of a difference. Your state legislators are more likely to acutely affect your life on a day-to-day -day basis. They're more likely to listen to you. 
and it costs less to create groups or be involved in groups that get in front of them. And that's even more true at the local level as well. You're obviously talking like major policy, but also at like the city level. Um, Certainly not with like the internet or something like that, but at the city level. Your city council people are even easier to get a hold of. They might yeah. you might know them. You might go to school or or or, or go to go to a church with them or or live nearby them. And uh, this is why I hammer away all the time. Get involved in your local communities. Get involved. Go to your city council meetings. Go if you can to your state legislative meetings. Get on the phone and on email with them. You know, at them on Twitter. Uh, tag them on Facebook. Get involved with them. You know, make friends as much as you can and become that uh, that you know squeaky wheel that won't go away about uh, setting the markets free and setting people free, and so we can live better lives. Agree with you a little bit right at the end. Uh, there's a ton of internet policy that's done at the local level. Uh, you know, you want 5G, you got to get small cells set up in your town. You go to a city council meeting and there's a bunch of NIMBYs trying to fight that. Um, you know, localities had huge fees for putting fiber in the ground. These are really local policies that can help close the digital divide. If you show up to your city council meeting, uh, your chance of getting faster internet is way better than, you know, going to talk to the FCC or, uh, you know, yelling at your internet provider. It is probably your local government that has more of an impact, whether or not you get fast internet service than anybody else that you will ever do. Don't take away my hobby of calling Spectrum and yelling at them. Um, But yes, get involved in your local communities and follow Eric Peterson, follow the Pelican Institute for Public Policy. And uh, Eric, again, thank you so much for coming on, man. Stick around. I'm going to talk with you during the intro. But folks, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of My Fellow Americans. I think it was an absolutely great one. And uh, it, uh, it another perfect example of how, you know, the less we can get government, the more we can get government out of our way, the better. Um, so thank you for tuning into this episode. Be sure to tune in tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern for the Writer's Block. Uh, uh, Matt Wright, gosh, I forgot his name. Matt Wright, uh, my, my co-host on Tuesdays, uh, he's doing his show, The Writer's Block, and um, he is going to be talking with Jay Nygaard, who uh, is going to be who advocates for uh, rights and civil disobedience in regards to green energy and going green. Uh, Jay Nygaard is uh, best known for being arrested for putting a windmill on his own property. Yeah, his own property, his own windmill. Turns out that's what you go to jail for. So uh, be sure to tune in and hear that story and hear uh, how you can get involved with the uh, energy revolution by uh, getting government out of your backyard and letting you put what you want there. Uh, and then this weekend, I will be in Wisconsin, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, uh, for the Libertarian Party of Wisconsin's annual convention. Uh, so for more information on that, go follow uh, the Libertarian Party of Wisconsin. I think their website is lpwisconsin.org. I'm going to confirm that right now. Nope. Uh, hold on one second. I can tell you where to go. I uh, probably should have done this. Stopping you from uh, finding your content. What's that? Net neutrality stopping you from finding the Libertarian yes. Party website. Darn you to heck, net neutrality. No, lpwi.org. No, this was pure user error. I'd love to blame Joe Biden for this, but definitely not. Uh, lpwi.org uh, to get more information on that convention this weekend and to register. Come on out. Meet me. I do Q&A all the time. I answer as many questions as I can. I'd like to get to meet you in person. Uh, and then join us back here next week for the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I parse through the week's events like the 2020 Wonder Boys that we are. Uh, and then join me next week right here. Oh, wait. No, I'm wrong. Next Tuesday, we're doing the old switcheroo. Uh, on next Tuesday is my fellow Americans 
uh, at 8 p.m. And my guest will be uh, an expert in police reform. He actually was an expert witness during the Chauvin trial. Uh, so we'll be talking about that and we'll talk about police policy. Uh, also, Next Wednesday, which is usually my show, My Fellow Americans, it's going to be the Muddy Waters of Freedom because we're going to be live streaming and live reacting to Joe Biden's very first State of the Union address. Will Joe Biden remember where he is the whole time? Probably not. But we will be there to give you a play-by-play -play as it happens. So be sure to tune into that. But folks, again, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of My Fellow Americans. Uh, I will see you uh, or join us tomorrow and I will see you next week. And uh, I just am so happy that you tuned in. What do I say here? Oh, yeah. I'm Spike Cohen and you are the power. God bless, guys. Who would want to raise a child?